This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. It's David and Kyle with the Power Producers Podcast, where we were refining and redefining the sales game today. We have with us Mr. Derek Hayden from Shelbyville, Illinois. What's going on, Derek? Not much, guys. How are you guys doing? Good. It's uh, it's Friday, which means it's one more day till Saturday, which is the sixth day of the week. I end up working most weeks, so um, <laughs> I got that going for me. Well, Derek, listen, man. Um, I found you on LinkedIn because you were religious about posting content and I started watching it every now and again and, and sharing some of it. I think it's valuable and people can learn a lot from the stuff that you're posting. So I wanted to have you on the show to talk to you a little bit, find out uh, you know, all the stuff you guys are doing up there. Why don't you take a couple seconds and let everybody know kind of who you are, where you came from, how you got into insurance and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, thanks for uh, connecting with me on LinkedIn and I'm glad I at least have a few viewers of our uh, content there. So um yeah, I'm a producer risk advisor for an agency called Shelbyville Insurance here in Shelbyville, Illinois. Uh, we're also associated with our sister company, um, Dancing Insurance Risk, risk Advisors. Uh, so I was born and raised here in Shelbyville, and uh, it's a small town. Just to give you and the listeners a gauge of how small it is, we're just under 5,000 people in our town here um, in a county of about 22,000 people. So... I often get when they hear when people hear where I'm from, uh, some people are familiar with our little town, usually one of two reasons. Um, so if anybody listens to or watches The Simpsons, I don't know if you guys are fans of The Simpsons or not, but The Simpsons live in Springfield, which Springfield is the capital of Illinois, of course. Right. And the rival of Springfield in The Simpsons is Shelbyville. Uh-huh. So it's hilarious because they depict Shelbyville as being like a bunch of rednecks and degenerates. And it's hilarious because it kind of hits home with our, <laughs> our little town here. So a lot of people hear about it's hilarious because it's true. Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dude, I had like 5,000 kids in my senior class. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty tiny, man. So, I mean, from, Tell us a little bit about how you got into insurance. I mean, did you grow up? Sure. And that, were your, that was your aspirations? Absolutely. Well, I, I had no idea where I was going to land. So 
Uh, like I said, born and raised here. Um, other than my college years, I lived here. So um, came back after college and kind of landed into substitute teaching. So it, it was funny because I, are, are you guys familiar with Eastbound and Down? Kenny, uh, Kenny Powers. Oh That's yeah, my life story. So I was yes, I Dude. was living the, the Kenny yeah. Powers life. Like I was, I played college baseball. I had no idea what I was going to do when I got out of college and landed in substitute teaching. Like, how did you guys found... hold on? There's yeah. so many good. Like, I'm trying to figure out why you didn't end up, how you didn't end up in the Mexican league. Oh man, I, if someone would have called me to go, I'd have been there in a heartbeat. You and me both, but, brother. Uh, yep. So they uh, anyway substitute teaching for oh year year and a half, and I quickly found that. Being in charge of a classroom full of teenagers was not my cup of tea. So I was trying to find a way to do something different. And I heard of an opening at a local agency. Um, I happened to know one of the agency owners. I had gone to high school with a couple of his kids. And I was like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll check it out. And uh, I, I remember sitting in the interview and one of the owners asked me, he's like, Derek, what's something that you want to try not to do? Like it'd be great if uh, I didn't have to do any door-to-door sales. So here I am knocking on every door in the Midwest trying to drum up business. So um, it was just funny how I kind of fell into it. But that's how I got where I am now. I've been with the agency now for almost eight years. And um, you know, I guess so what, what was his response when you said I don't want to do any door-to-door? Did he just laugh and be like, "Yep, pretty much. All right, that's cool." Well, he's like, "Okay, well, we're going to offer you." <laughs> yeah. He just kind of let it go, and he's like, well, I think this guy can handle it, and, you know, didn't really say a whole lot. So, but, yeah, it's fun. You, you start, and, like, the first week on the job, you learn, like, two things about insurance. They're like, all right, here's some business cards. Go knock on some doors. I'm like, uh, but I said that's, you know, what I was trying to – anyway. So, it yeah. turns out I kind of enjoy it. I enjoy it. So, um, uh, but, no, being in a small town is – creates a lot of hurdles for me, which kind of is one of the reasons why I approach marketing and social media the way I do. So good thing about being in a small town is I know a lot of people. Bad thing about being in a small town is I know a lot of people. So uh, there's a good chance if I know them, one of my competitors knows them as well. So that was a huge hurdle for me getting into the business was relationships. Um, you know, if if one of my prospects goes to church with their current agent, they're not likely to fire that guy. And, and I've learned to qualify press prospects a little better than I used to. But it was a struggle when you first start, especially in a small town. It's a smaller pond to fish from. And and uh, so anyway, that's why I kind of fell into um, approaching marketing the way I do now. Uh, yeah, so talk a little bit about what you do, man. I mean, I know that a lot of the stuff that I've seen in terms of content has to do with partially um, self-insured or self-insured benefits plans. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that translates to Shelbyville, right? I mean, there's no way you're writing yeah, yeah. that much of that kind of, of, of health product in, in your town. Yep, you're absolutely right. So um, – I initially started, my focus was not benefits. Um, I landed a pretty good size account at the end of my first year. Um, and I, I got the meeting initially for a commercial opportunity. And some of the questions they were asking, I was just completely confused because it was not about commercial insurance. It was about benefits. 
and it was just a much easier conversation. And um, you're, you're what are exactly some, right. Hey, so, what, are, what are some examples of those questions, if you can remember them? Yeah. Um, basically, it just has to do with about the time I started, Affordable Care Act had really started to hit home with people. And it was Affordable Care Act questions. And I didn't know a ton of the answers being new to the business. And, and but um, I had people in my corner that, that did. So I was like, those are really good questions. I want to make sure that, you know, I'm answering them correctly. And I just brought someone in and literally I landed a BOR just because we answered questions about the Affordable Care Act that no other broker or agent was able to answer. Um, so in my mind, when I started to kind of focus a little bit on the benefits, it's like that was a lot easier than getting in the door and trying to quote these commercial accounts. So I started to dabble in the, the benefits side and try to learn a little more you know, about the Affordable Care Act, um, it's a it's a different animal from the commercial side, which I've been focusing most of my time on. So what I did is I would just, you know, I would do what I do now. I would call people and ask people questions. Um, you guys talk about Zywave all the time, broker briefcase. I mean, you can learn anything you want off a of broker briefcase. So I would watch their training videos. I'd download their documents. I'd read about the Affordable Care Act. I'd read about employee benefits and try to learn what struggles um, employers were going through um, with everything that goes into the, the benefits side. Yeah, I think it's interesting, especially when you're dealing with like the partially self-insured stuff. I, I guess even the self-insured for the most part, I'm going back way, way earlier in my career at this point, probably like 12 to 15 years ago. But for me, it was always a very natural conversation, understanding workers' comp and how that policy structured and all of the pieces and parts that go into it, especially if you understand like retrospectively rated programs and stuff like that. You could naturally explain a partially self-insured benefits plan because the structure at its surface is almost identical. And so it, it, it's interesting, a lot of the, a lot of the accounts that I, I would write I would lead with the PNC because it was much easier for me to have the conversation around, you know, the, at that time it was really property insurance more than anything else. But as we started digging in to the workers comp, you can, you can bet your last dollar that if I'm talking to you about workers comp, there's a 100% chance I'm going to ask you about your benefits mm -hmm. too, because I think there's a direct correlation between the two of them. Right. And so it's interesting. So with that being said, are you doing any PNC at all now? Have you been able to parlay you leading with benefits into pulling in PNC opportunities? So you're kind of doing both or what does that look like? Absolutely. So um, a lot of what I do um, as far as door openers for these, for our, our ideal client size, just so you guys know, is basically any group that has 50 to 300 employee lives on their plan. So like you said, it's a natural transition from benefits to the work comp, especially um, it's it really work comp is an employee benefit. Um, there's there's nothing that the employer receives other than the coverage that's mandated by the state. Um, so it, it's a natural transition for us from benefits to work comp. So that is one thing that we are really working on now, especially myself and one of my uh, business partners in crime. His name's Garrett Ulmer in our office. Um, we are really trying to dig into 
the work comp so we can make it more of an, an easier transition conversation wise, um, because I think there's a huge opportunity in connecting the dots there. What does that conversation look like now for you? Because I mean, like we're, we're doing it essentially the other way where we're typically talking about comp first. And then if there's issues there, we transition into the into the benefits, because if, if, if you know, from our perspective, obviously, if there's a bunch of claims on the workers comp, we want to see what's going on on the employee benefits. Maybe they don't have a very robust plan. And that's why people are filing claims. Some of them might be bogus. So like, what's the what's the the transition look like for you guys when you're kind of doing it the other way? Sure. So initially, when we're getting in the door with benefits, um, we lead with basically pointing out that benefits is the typically the second or third largest expense on a business's P&L statement. I mean, and there's there's typically no argument to that when you look at how sizable outside of payroll. Yeah, outside of payroll, right. that is probably the biggest expense in most employers. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And the way that we kind of hit home with work comp and the benefits is we'll ask, um, you know, say, do you do you have a safety program to control your workers' comp costs? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, do you have a return to work program to control, you know, getting people back to work on a timely fashion? Oh, yeah, we have that. And then we say, what are you doing to control your benefits costs? And they kind of look at us with big eyes and, and they're like, uh, we raised deductibles last year. And uh, so it's it, that's how we get the natural transition is what I've done with a few of our groups is actually we've created a safety and wellness program within that group. So you're not only um, helping the group with benefits and wellness, you're translating it to safety on the job as well. So it becomes a talk about not just benefits, but work comp at the same time. I'll tell you what, man, and there's going to be some things that it'll, it'll be very interesting to see if the technology catches up and they're able to make it where it, it, it works with both, right, where it's compatible with both benefits and workers' comp. But what I'm referring to specifically is wearables, right? So you have a lot of large self-insured programs like the one I was using as, as an example is Hillsborough County, Florida, where we live and where I live in Tampa area has a self-insured program for all the teachers and everything. Well, they have, they have the ability to get um, discounts and all kinds of stuff for wearing wearables. And then they earn points, which subsequently they can turn in for things that, um, you know, from like shopping from a catalog or whatever else it's also happening in workers comp. So it's going to be interesting to see how, they're able to maybe combine those two because if you've got somebody that has a, a wearable that they're wearing for benefits already or vice versa, if they can figure out a way to make that technology cross the gap to the other one, I think it's going to be a an interesting game changer with all the data that people are able to, to collect. I'm trying to figure out truthfully how they can get around some of the HIPAA and other stuff on the work comp side. Right. Uh, from an HR perspective, requiring an employee to wear a wearable. I, I feel like that's the biggest hurdle, honestly. Well, we've got a guy, I don't know, Kyle, if you saw it or not, but in Killing Commercial, who posted an article about wearables in workers' comp, and it's a friend of his that works or owns this company, and that guy, we're going to have that guy come on, either to do a do a killer call mm-hmm. with us or to, to come on the podcast. But I, th- that's, that's my main question. I think the idea is great. We have the technology, we use data for everything else. So why wouldn't we, I, I do think, it, you know, to your point, Derek, I think a lot of times employers feel handcuffed yeah. 
you know, because that's what they've been, that's what they've been trained, right? There's look, if you can be creative, I don't care if it's PNC or if it's benefits, if you can be creative in your approach and you can ask questions that nobody else is asking relevant to what the topic is, just like you said, what are you doing to control benefits costs? That's no different than me going into a manufacturer. I can tell you that if I walk into a manufacturing company, there are three questions I'm going to ask every single time. How do you measure quality? And they can tell me. How do you measure productivity? And how? This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. It's David and Kyle with the Power Producers Podcast, where we were refining and redefining the sales game today. We have with us Mr. Derek Hayden from Shelbyville, Illinois. What's going on, Derek? Not much, guys. How are you guys doing? Good. It's uh, it's Friday, which means it's one more day till Saturday, which is the sixth day of the week. I end up working most weeks, so um, <laughs> I got that going for me. Well, Derek, listen, man. Um, I found you on LinkedIn because you were religious about posting content and I started watching it every now and again and, and sharing some of it. I think it's valuable and people can learn a lot from the stuff that you're posting. So I wanted to have you on the show to talk to you a little bit, find out uh, you know, all the stuff you guys are doing up there. Why don't you take a couple seconds and let everybody know kind of who you are, where you came from, how you got into insurance and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, thanks for uh, connecting with me on LinkedIn and I'm glad I at least have a few viewers of our uh, content there. So um yeah, I'm a producer risk advisor for an agency called Shelbyville Insurance here in Shelbyville, Illinois. Uh, we're also associated with our sister company, um, Dancing Insurance Risk Advisors. Uh, so I was born and raised here in Shelbyville, and uh, it's a small town. Just to give you and the listeners a gauge of how small it is, we're just under 5,000 people in our town here um, in a county of about 22,000 people. So I often get when they hear when people hear where I'm from, uh, some people are familiar with our little town, usually one of two reasons. Um, so if anybody listens to or watches The Simpsons, I don't know if you guys are fans of The Simpsons or not, but The Simpsons live in Springfield, which Springfield is the capital of Illinois, of course. Right. And the rival of Springfield and The Simpsons is Shelbyville. Huh. So 
it's hilarious because they depict Shelbyville as being like a bunch of rednecks and degenerates. And it's hilarious because it kind of hits home with our, <laughs> our little town here. So a lot of people hear about it's hilarious because it's true. Symptoms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, dude, I had like 5,000 kids it- in my senior class. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty tiny, man. So, I mean, from tell us a little bit about how you got into insurance. I mean, did you grow up sure. and that were your that was your aspirations? Absolutely. Well, I, I had no idea where I was going to land. So, uh, like I said, born and raised here. Um, other than my college years, I lived here. So, um, came back after college and kind of landed into substitute teaching. So, it was funny because uh, are you guys familiar with Eastbound and Down? Can you, uh, can you powers? Oh <laughs> yeah. My life story. So I was, yes, I Dude. was living the, the Kenny yeah. powers life. Like I was, I played college baseball. <laughs> I had no idea what I was going to do when I got out of college and landed in substitute teaching. Well, I How did you found, found, Hold on. There's yeah. so many good. Like I'm trying to figure out why you didn't end up, how you didn't end up in the Mexican league. Oh, man. I, if someone would have called me to go, I'd have been there in a heartbeat. You and me both, but, brother. Uh, yep. So they, uh, anyway, substitute teaching for, oh, year, year and a half. And I quickly found that being in charge of a classroom full of teenagers was not my cup of tea. So I was trying to find a way to do something different. And I heard of an opening at a local agency. Um, I happened to know one of the agency owners I had gone to high school with a couple of his kids. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, I'll, I'll check it out. And uh, I, I remember sitting in the interview and one of the owners asked me, he's like, Derek, what's something that you want to try not to do? I was like, it'd be great if uh, I didn't have to do any door to door sales. So here I am knocking on every door in the Midwest trying to drum up business. So um, it was just funny how I kind of fell into it. But that's how I got where I am now. I've been with the agency now for almost eight years. And, um, you know, I so guess. What, what was his response when you said, I don't want to do any door to door? Did he just laugh and be like, yep, pretty much. All right, that's cool. Well, he's like, okay, well, we're going to offer you. <laughs> yeah. He just kind of let it go. And he's like, well, I think this guy can handle it. And, you know, didn't really say a whole lot. So, but yeah, it's fun. You, you start in like the first week on the job, you learn like, two things about insurance. They're like, all right, here's some business cards. Go knock on some doors. I'm like, uh, but I said, that's, you know, what I was trying to anyway. So I, yeah. turns out I kind of enjoy it. I enjoy it. So, um, uh, but no, being in a small town is creates a lot of hurdles for me, which um, kind of is one of the reasons why I approach marketing and social media the way I do. So good thing about being in a small town is I know a lot of people bad thing about being a small town is I know a lot of people. So uh, there's a good chance if I know them, one of my com- competitors knows them as well. So that was a huge hurdle for me getting into the business was relationships. Um, you know, if if one of my prospects goes to church with their current agent, they're not likely to fire that guy. And, and, and I've learned to qualify press prospects a little better than I used to. But it was a struggle when you first start, especially in a small town. It's a smaller pond to fish from. And and uh, so anyway, that's why I kind of fell into um, approaching marketing the way I do now. Uh, yeah. So talk a little bit about what you do, man. I mean, I know that a lot of the stuff sure. that I've seen in terms of content has to do with 
partially um, self-insured or self-insured benefits plans. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that translates to Shelbyville, right? I mean, there's no way you're writing yeah, you're, that much of that kind of, of, of health product in, in your town. Yep. You're absolutely right. So um, I initially started, my focus was not benefits. Um, I landed a pretty good size account at the end of my first year. Um, and I, I got the meeting initially for a commercial opportunity. And some of the questions they were asking, I was just completely confused because it was not about commercial insurance. It was about benefits. And it was just a much easier conversation. And um, you're, you're what are exactly some, right. Hey, so, what, are, what are some examples of those questions, if you can remember them? Yeah. Um, basically, it just has to do with about the time I started, Affordable Care Act had really started to hit home with people. And it was Affordable Care Act questions. And I didn't know a ton of the answers being new to the business. And, and but um, I had people in my corner that, that did. So I was like, those are really good questions. I want to make sure that, you know, I'm answering them correctly. And I just brought someone in and literally I landed a BOR just because we answered questions about the Affordable Care Act that no other broker or agent was able to answer. Um, so in my mind, when I started to kind of focus a little bit on the benefits, it's like that was a lot easier than getting in the door and trying to quote these commercial accounts. So I started to dabble in the, the benefit side and try to learn a little more you know, about the Affordable Care Act, um, it's a it's a different animal from the commercial side, which I've been focusing most of my time on. So what I did is I would just, you know, I would do what I do now. I would call people and ask people questions. Um, you guys talk about Zywave all the time, broker briefcase. I mean, you can learn anything you want off a broker briefcase. So I would watch their training videos. I'd download their documents. I'd read about the Affordable Care Act. I'd read about employee benefits and try to learn what struggles um, employers were going through um, with everything that goes into the the benefits side. Yeah, I think it's interesting, especially when you're dealing with like the partially self-insured stuff. I I guess even the self-insured for the most part, I'm going back way, way earlier in my career at this point, probably like 12 to 15 years ago. But for me, it was always a very natural conversation, understanding workers' comp and how that policy structured and all of the pieces and parts that go into it, especially if you understand like retrospectively rated programs and stuff like that. You could naturally explain a partially self-insured benefits plan because the structure at its surface is almost identical. And so it, it, it's interesting, a lot of the, a lot of the accounts that I, I would write I would lead with the PNC because it was much easier for me to have the conversation around, you know, at that time it was really property insurance more than anything else. But as we started digging in to the workers comp, you can, you can bet your last dollar that if I'm talking to you about workers comp, there's a 100% chance I'm going to ask you about your benefits Mm. too, because I think there's a direct correlation between the two of them. Right. And so it's interesting. So with that being said, are you doing any PNC at all now? Have you been able to parlay you leading with benefits into pulling in PNC opportunities? So you're kind of doing both or what does that look like? Absolutely. So um, a lot of what I do um, as far as door openers for these, for our, our, our ideal client size, just so you guys know, is basically any 
group that has 50 to 300 employee lives on their plan. So like you said, it's a natural transition from benefits to the work comp, especially um, it's it really work comp is an employee benefit. Um, there's there's nothing that the employer receives other than the coverage that's mandated by the state. Um, so it, it's a natural t- transition for us be- from benefits to work comp. So that is one thing that we are really working on now, especially myself and one of my uh business partners in crime. His name's Garrett Ulmer in our office. Um, we are really trying to dig into the work comp so we can make it more of a, an easier transition conversation wise, um, because I think there's a huge opportunity in connecting the dots there. What does that conversation look like now for you? Cause I mean, like we're, we're doing it essentially the other way where we're typically talking about comp first. And then if there's issues there, we transition into the, into the benefits because if, 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 you know, from our perspective, obviously, if there's a bunch of claims on the workers comp, we want to see what's going on on the employee benefits. Maybe they don't have a very robust plan and that's why people are filing claims. Some of them might be bogus. So like, what's the, what's the, the transition look like for you guys when you're kind of doing it the other way? Sure. So initially when we're getting in the door with benefits, um, we lead with basically pointing out that benefits is the typically the second or third largest expense on a business's P&L statement. I mean, and there's, there's typically no argument to that. When you look at how sizable outside of payroll. Yeah. Outside of payroll, that is probably the biggest expense in most employers. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. And the way that we kind of hit home with work comp and the benefits is we'll ask, um, you know, say, do you, do you have a safety program to control your workers' comp costs? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, do you have a return to work program to control, you know, getting people back to work on a timely fashion? Oh, yeah, we have that. And then we say, what are you doing to control your benefits costs? And they kind of look at us with big eyes and, and they're like, uh, we raised deductibles last year. And uh, so it's it, that's how we get the natural transition is, what I've done with a few of our groups is actually we've created a safety and wellness program within that group. So you're not only um, helping the group with benefits and wellness, you're translating it to safety on the job as well. So it becomes a talk about not just benefits, but work comp at the same time. I'll tell you what, man, and there's going to be some things that it'll, it'll be very interesting to see if the technology catches up. And they're able to make it where it, it, it works with both, right? Where it's compatible with both benefits and workers' comp. But what I'm referring to specifically is wearables, right? So you have a lot of large self-insured programs. Like the one I was using as, as an example is Hillsborough County, Florida, where we live and where I live in Tampa area has a self-insured program for all the teachers and everything. Well, they have a, they have the ability to get um, discounts and all kinds of stuff for wearing wearables. And then they earn points, which subsequently they can turn in for things that, um, you know, from like shopping from a catalog or whatever else it's also happening in workers comp. So it's going to be interesting to see how they're able to maybe combine those two, because if you've got somebody that has a, a wearable that they're wearing for benefits already or vice versa, if they can figure out a way to make that technology cross the gap to the other one, I think it's going to be a an interesting game changer with all the data that people are able to, to collect. I'm trying to figure out truthfully how they can get around some of the HIPAA and other stuff on the work comp side right. 
uh, from an HR perspective, requiring an employee to wear a wearable. I, I feel like that's the biggest hurdle, honestly. Well, we've got a guy, I don't know, Kyle, if you've saw it or not, but in Killing Commercial, who posted an article about wearables in workers' comp, and it's a friend of his that works or owns this company, and that guy, we're going to have that guy come on, either to do a do a killer call mm-hmm. with us or to, to come on the podcast. But I, that's that's my main question. I think the idea is great. We have the technology. We use data for everything else, so why wouldn't we? I, I do think, it, you know, to your point, Derek, I think a lot of times employers feel handcuffed, yeah. you know, because that's what they've been, that's what they've been trained, right? There's, look, if you can be creative, I don't care if it's PNC or if it's benefits, if you can be creative in your approach and you can ask questions that nobody else is asking relevant to what the topic is, just like you said, what are you doing to control benefits costs? That's no different than me going into a manufacturer. I can tell you that if I walk into a manufacturing company, there are three questions I'm going to ask every single time. How do you measure quality? And they can tell me, how do you measure productivity? And how do you measure safety? They can answer the first two, but most of the time, they have no way to tell me how they measure safety, which isn't a shock because I'm constantly calling on people who have experience mods of one one or higher, but it just blows my mind that before I got to them, nobody else had ever even asked that question. And how do you expect to get good results when you don't even have a benchmark to work from? And the same thing holds true. You know, it's crazy that employers think that the only way they can control costs is by passing that cost on to the employee. Now, we don't do benefits. We have a joint venture in place with a guy who does nothing but benefits and retirement planning. So we refer 100% of that over and he refers 100% of the PNC to us. So I don't get into these discussions any more than I have to because my goal is just to get Rod in there and let Hi, him Rod. do his thing. But um, yeah, it's it's crazy, man, to think that, you know, that's because all you're doing, you're in a death spiral at that point, right? I had a group one time that wanted to come on and they didn't want to give it a con. They didn't want to give a contribution. I said, well, you're not giving <laughs> yeah. benefits. You're giving Cobra, you know, no, right. I mean, the employee doesn't, the employee average employee doesn't understand what the real benefits cost is. You know, I'm a huge proponent yeah. when you go in and engage with an employer to immediately do total compensation statements immediately. Mm-hmm. If you can't get it through your, your, your payroll company, we have the ability to go in through, the client portal and Zywave and do them ourselves. But you know, that early, early. Huge, man. Yeah. Like the, the, that, that is, be able to put that in front of somebody and, and give them the perspective. I mean, so I, I uh, first saw those at Coab. We had, you know, we had that as something that they could just pull. Um, and in order to help in the recruiting and retaining of, of talent. And it was just like, I mean, because you get guys, especially in the like the industry that you're talking about, like your your light manufacturing, whatever, who are gonna who are gonna jump ship for an extra you know quarter an hour or or whatever it is, fifty cents an hour, but they don't realize that they're getting you know these really robust benefits um, and, and all these other forms of compensation. I, I, I mean, that's a huge tool that I need to use more here because I haven't, but um, that's I mean that's huge. It's huge on the benefits side specifically because you can take a guy that's making $15 an hour and illustrate right. that the his cost to the employer is like $30 plus an hour by the time you factor in all of those things. But to that point, I mean, we're at a point right now where 
if you're a trade contractor or light manufacturing or things like that, you're having a hard time getting people. So you don't you don't want to lose the people that you have and you want to be able to get new people in the door on a budget. And I mean, that's just a really easy way to show them. Now, using your example, if that guy goes for two dollars an hour, you know, that's eighty dollars a week, three hundred and twenty dollars a month, you know, basically four grand a year for all practical purposes. We'll call him that. But if he has a thousand dollar deductible on his medical and he goes to a place that has a five thousand dollar deductible, his and God forbid he has something happen, he just ate up his entire raise and then some in the deductible layer. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I see a lar- a, an issue that's going to be prevalent here soon because of all the COVID issues that these employers are facing as well. They're going to be turning, you know, to some type of cost containment. They're going to have to. And um, I can see a huge battle starting with raising deductibles and, and employees possibly even jumping ship, understanding that they're out of pocket, maybe, you know, going up and they're going to be looking for the employer that's got the most competitive benefit package. What's the biggest pushback that you get or biggest objection? Uh, I mean, I, I remember, so I, I used to work for a PEO before I joined Florida risk and a lot of the time it was a benefits play. And I remember getting, you know, some of the objections. I'm just curious if it's, if it's similar to what I used to hear. Sure. Um, as far as when we're trying to get in the door with uh, a group, the biggest concern is they are terrified of the word self-funded or partially mm-hmm. self-funded. Um, I don't know if they've heard bad stories from you know other employers or if they've been self-funded in the past and got burned, um, but they are just absolutely terrified. I guess at the nomenclature of saying you know self-funded or partially self-funded benefits. Um, so one thing we've got to get over uh, as far as a hurdle is educating them on. You know, there are so many protections in place now for these small to middle market groups to go self-funded. It's more of a gamble to be fully insured than it is self-insured in today's world. Um, I mean, and and COVID has just magnified a lot of those issues. Um, You know, you look at these groups that, you know, say they're paying a hundred thousand bucks a month in benefits premium and for three, four or five months procedures were completely shut down. So they're still paying a hundred thousand bucks in employee benefits premium when their employees aren't going to the doctor or having right. any procedures. Um, it's just gonna, I mean, we're, it's going to be a huge opportunity. And I mean, for us, I hate to say that, you know, at the employer's expense, but it's a huge opportunity. Well, I have, you know, one of the things that I've seen in the marketplace down here, and again, I'm going to tell you, I don't really talk about this stuff a lot, but I read, you know, enough to make me dangerous. But everything seemed to be pushing towards those level funded plans with, you know, for a while there. And I think that was a great idea until it wasn't. Um, It seems like a lot of them have blown up and the carriers down here aren't even really aggressively going after them anymore. Are you seeing the same thing up there? Are you pretty much trying to steer people that have a clean census into that partially self-insured arena? Yep, we we don't typically start with the level funded side. We typically go straight towards our, our initial play for these middle market groups, 50 plus employees is um, partially self-funded through a captive. Um, there's so many protections through a captive. Um, and 
I mean, we, we're lucky we have access to a few of them, and one in particular that's just um, it, it makes all the sense in the world to move to it um, with with the climate of the fully insured world. Um, it's just a matter of getting over the initial fear of hearing the word self self insured or partially self insured. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And Kyle's going to now mark this down on his calendar is the second time he's heard somebody use the word nomenclature. Usually I'm the only one um, and and catch heat for it. But yeah, I mean, I think there's just, and again, man, here we are, we're dealing with COVID. We're dealing with the election. All, you know, PNC doesn't get affected yeah. by that stuff on benefits. All bets are off, you know, mm-hmm. and it's yeah, crazy to think true. of, of what, what's going to happen, you know, from a work comp perspective, Illinois is not the easiest state to deal with either. You know, it, yeah. it's it's generally considered a pretty tough comp state. Um, so what's what's the reasoning behind that? What's what? Why is the market like that? I'm gonna let the resident of Illinois. I, I really don't know. Yeah, I was asking him, not you. Well, I can tell you. I really don't know. I don't know if it's certain laws. I know um, in most cases the laws are more favorable towards employees, um, a little more generous payouts, maybe. Um, but I don't know the exact reason. I'm sure that has a small to do with it yeah no i mean anytime the carriers are having to pay higher than average claim values out and things like that it's usually because the legislation in the state is more favorable to the employee and i mean listen you go in and deal with somebody who's a business owner or a vp of ops or whatever even in a state that's not skewed that way and they're still going to tell you how bad they get screwed over so you know some of that has to do with some of that has to do with perception too. Yeah. One thing as far as the mod goes and and I'm not fam- super familiar with other States, but in Illinois, you know, for the medical only discount, they've got to be back to work within the three working days, I believe. And I think some other oh, States, wow. I believe it's that is a very short window. Yeah. And so I know oh, some wow. States are five, some are even more than that. So that's probably a large reason for the difficulty employers see with work comp. Yeah, that's that 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 would be because I mean, is do you know what this is the split point in Illinois seventeen or seventeen five? Seventeen five. Yeah, seventeen seventeen five. I'd have to look at it, but yeah, it's right there. I I don't remember. I I don't. I half the time I don't remember Florida's man, so I, I can't be held responsible for remembering other sites. But I mean that that's a big deal, especially as you're consulting with people on the workers' comp side. Because we lead with, I mean, to me, low-hanging fruit is return to work. If you've only got three days to get somebody back, you need to be having the right conversations. Because, and listen, you know, part of what, when we talk about this stuff, I think it's important to put the disclaimer on there that I'm talking about Florida, right? I'm talking about my experience. You're talking about Illinois because that's your experience. If you hear me say something about how you should handle an indemnity claim or things that we do, probably a good idea to go ahead and check and make sure you can do that (laughs) in your state, right? Because there are places that you are not able to, but Illinois actually is one of them. I don't believe that you're able to file aggravated inequities for up to three years. Um, I have to check into that, but I've heard the same thing from a few other people. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy because that's, again, Mm -hmm. that's another thing that I hang my hat on down here. It's an easy way to to create doubt. One of, one of our wedges. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, I mean, I was talking to Jason Cass 
and him and his business partner had the, a, a really nice size account on the line. And I was like, Cash, you need to go in and do this and this and this. And so they go to do it. And like, we're told we can't do it. I'm like, you can't do that in Illinois. That's crazy. Tell me why it's an NCCI state. But I mean, you have to remember everything is legislated at the state level with comp and there's going to be differences here and there. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's right. Um, <laughs> Kyle, I was going to ask you a question. Yeah. As far as the marketing scheme goes, sorry, I'm jumping back into the marketing side. Mm-hmm. Um, so are you at this point, a producer of Florida risk? Yes. Okay. So not an owner, just at this point in time, a producer. Right. Um, so you and I are in a similar boat then mm-hmm. um, when you're producing content to communicate the stuff we're talking about right now, do you produce your own content or are you um, basically trying to promote more of Florida risks content? Yeah. Well, so our marketing, we have a lot of automated stuff. We have, and David's talked about it a number of times. You've got like our solicitation calendar that goes out, you know, one, a, a different thing for each month. So it really depends on what we're talking about. But if I'm, if, if I'm going to go, if I'm going to target somebody specifically, most of the time, that's going to be something that I create on my own. Um, if it's, if it's more generic and going out to a bunch of people, it's going to be some of our automated stuff that's, um, you know, built into our, our CRM and everything. And a lot of Zywave. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Zywave. Yeah. I, I use Zywave. That's like the pretty much my first stop. Um, you know, after I, after I do my research on, on businesses that I'm, that I'm going after, I'm, <clears throat> I'm going into Zywave to either create, um, you know, some sort of leave behind that's specific to their business that I can personalize with our, our logo on there and their company logo. Uh, that's a, that is a, a huge resource for us as we've talked about a million of times, you know, a million times, but, um, yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Derek, you know, your question's a good one. It's one that is not always well received by agency owners. Okay. That are not as open-minded as what I am. Um, I don't care how Kyle brands himself. I just want him to go out and write business. Um, You know, he'll have ownership in Florida risk that's already mapped out, you know, to a certain degree, he has a path to be a partner and all of that stuff. So there's really no, there's really no concern on my end. You know, one of my, one of the issues that I have with a lot of the, you know, if you will, old guard agencies out there is that agency owners can't get their head around the fact that uh, just because somebody develops a personal brand doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to use that against you and go out and start their own agency, right? I mean, it would make absolutely no sense at all for Kyle to ever leave to try and start his own agency, because I'll give him every reason not to do it, you know, by taking care of him here. And and if you do that, then you have the ability to perpetuate the agency. And truthfully, man, the guy's, you know, 16, 17 years younger than what I am. So he's, he's the one that's going to have to take over when it's time for me to get out. If we don't both, you know, if we don't sell and both cash out and quit working for the rest of our life, but there's a huge debate, man. There's a huge debate out there right now where, Agency owners just don't believe in producers branding themselves. They want everything branded as the agency because they're concerned that that producer will build that brand on their nickel and then turn around and leave them. Unequivocally, the people that are doing that are the same ones that don't have a path to equity. They gripe about people having book ownership and 
quite frankly, usually are the smaller agencies because they're never going to grow because they don't think outside, you know, the norm of, of what they do. I'm a big believer on branding your process, right? I don't, I don't even care if the agency name's on there. For, for, for Florida Risk, it's okay because it plays down here. But, you know, I've got a good friend of mine, Greg Hogan, who owns an agency up in New York. And it it's, was typically a Main Street agency. The name of his agency is the Caraba Agency. But he's moving into middle market. And, you know, I had I had a conversation with him. He was down here in February. And I said, Greg, I said, you know, listen, man, I, I, I'm not being disrespectful. Please don't think that I am. I said, but I have a concern that if you if, if you're going to work the processes and the things that I'm teaching you to go upstream into the middle market from where you're at right now, which you're perfectly capable of doing. I think your agency name is going to hold you back. I don't think you're going to be able to go in and compete with Brown and Brown or USI or whoever you would be going in to compete against on these accounts. And I want you to be thinking about what you would do to brand your process as opposed to you know, for the middle market stuff, as opposed to branding your agency. He's like, listen, man, you don't have to tell me I've already been thinking about it. I've already started working on the stuff. So basically anything he does in the middle market, is going to be catalyst risk solutions powered by the Caraba agency. So everything he does is going to be catalyst risk solutions. You can go into a middle market account as cat. And as crazy as that sounds, I know that it'll work, right? You're better served going in with a brand that sounds like, yeah, all my competition's probably using something like this. Or in my case, I opened my agency and I had to come up with the name of something that sounded like it had been around for a while and in 20 minutes, I came up with Florida Risk Partners. In literally, like the next week, I go out and I'm calling on people like, "Oh yeah, I've heard of you guys. You've been around for a while, haven't you?" And I'm like, "Nailed it!" <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. But it, it, it's crazy to think of how branding, you know, affects things like that, and it, just even getting somebody's ear to listen, you know, to what you have to say. You could be the great, you have the greatest mousetrap in the world, but if you don't have the right package around it, nobody's going to pick it off the sh- up up off the shelf and take it home. Right. I will say I'm, I'm very lucky. Um, my, uh, agency principals are similar minded to you, David. They, they've supported us in, in building content and marketing ourselves, um, to go out and get those customers. Um, uh, now they're not going to throw a ton of money at just me for my marketing bill. That's, that's a hurdle I have, but they've given me a leash to say, Take it and run, dude. Whatever you got to do to write business, get your name out there, go ahead and have it. Um, and I, uh, we have a kind of a vast demographic of owners, different ages, and, and even we've got buy-in from all of them, from uh, you know the oldest to the youngest. They're all on board with me and uh, any other age or uh, producers that want to go after it. We can do whatever we want. So I, I'm pretty lucky in that aspect. I think it goes back to what you're saying, David, about the overall, you know, mindset of the agency owner and, and providing a path to equity for their people or the ones, you know, who, who are, are, are the opposite. Like, like you said, those, those, those agencies that are set up the other way, that's where you're going to find the people who are trying to go out and create their own brand for their own, uh, you know, endeavors in the future. Listen, I could ask three questions. I am thoroughly convinced of this. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Lately, I could ask three questions and pretty much pinpoint the average, the, the, the size of your agency. 
Number one, do you have a path to equity for your producers? Will they have ownership in the enterprise as a whole, not just their book? Number two, do you have a CRM? And number three, do you use a tool? You don't have to use Zywave, but do you have some sort of a tool, either Zywave itself or something similar that you've invested in to help make your people stronger in the marketplace? If they say no to those three things, those agencies are not at a million dollars in revenue. I would be absolutely shocked if they were. And if they say yes to those three things, they're in the other column. They're all usually two, three million or more in revenue because that's why. I mean, that's what blows my mind, man. This stuff is so simple and and people are just too cheap. They don't get it. Like they want to return on their investment without making the investment. Last time I checked, (laughs) Apple's not sending me dividend checks because I don't own stock in Apple. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Invest in your freaking agency. I probably, I probably you with how much Apple stuff I have, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, well, this I mean, one like, problem. One problem that I see with agencies, and, and you guys might be able to um, throw your two cents in here as well. But um, I'm going to give kudos to our agency owners. We have access to numerous tools to help us write business. Um, I don't think in Central Illinois that there's another agency that has as many tools as we do. Now, one thing that um, we, I feel like every agency falls short in is you kind of get uh, excited to get the new shiny object and then um, you forget to use it as time goes. One thing that I'm lucky, I'm younger, I'm a little more tech savvy than some other producers. I can pick up a tool, play around with it, and I can use it you know, pretty quickly and be successful with it. Um, a lot of agencies, and I talk to agents all the time, they get these tools, but they don't know how to use them. Um, you know, I always use a, a phrase, you can give a ditch digger a backhoe, but if he doesn't know how to turn it on, he's going to pick up the shovel again. Um, so that's one thing, um, maximizing. Hey, hold on a second. Tool. That sounds like it came from a guy that lives in a city of 5,000 people. By the way. <laughs> you just, you just well, validated, you, you just validated the, the Shelbyville original right there. You know. No, I yeah. completely agree with you, man. Yeah, I, mean, we, I feel like we've talked about that on probably like the last four podcasts that we've done the shiny object syndrome where you know people are always wanting to go out and get the newest toy even though it may not uh a like you said they may not know how to use it or utilize all of it or b it just might not be the right fit for their agency based on what they're going after they're seeing oh all these other people on on this you know forum on social media are using this so this you know must be the 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 thing that's going to take me to the next level but yeah i mean you might not be in the same space as they are. So I, I, I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying. I can tell you one of the things that I've done that's been, you know, that has been a mistake that I've learned from is sometimes you think that you can add infrastructure and scale at the same time. Right. And that's going to, that's going to make it work really, really well for you. So you go out and you have the Mac daddy subscription to Zywave. You have you know, we have HubSpot as our CRM. We do, you know, we do, there's no rules for marketing with us. Like we'll do whatever we need to do. But I mean, I look at the investments and things that I've made, you know, the VoIP system, the the raters that we use and all of these other things. And then you're throwing people in left and right at the same time. I'm not going to bring anybody on board until we've mastered what we've got, because I don't even have the right people to train the next people on how to use that. And I mean, even using virtual assistants, right, which is something we're we're moving toward for some of these tasks. 
it takes a long time to prepare just to bring a VA on board because they don't, they may know how to do something, but they don't know how your agency does it. So now you have to stop, define your process, record that process so that it can be replicated and other people can do it. You know, a lot of people don't realize this, but the whole reason that my killing commercial sales training exists is for me. I just figured out a way to monetize it. It's it's in existence for Florida Risk Partners so that the next producer I bring in, I can say, boom, go through this curriculum. And there it is. And they'll know our process. They'll have their pipeline built. They'll understand our marketing. They'll, they'll get every ounce of that without me having to spend time going through it. And that's really not even my biggest concern. My biggest concern is just the lack of consistency if it's not something formalized. Because then you have somebody that's the point of sale that I think knows something and they don't know that. And I'm like, crap, I screwed up, man. I I failed you as the leader of the organization because I didn't give you what you needed to be successful. So that's why I created it. But to, to Kyle's point, there are so many tools that are out there and I think we all pull pull them in real time, and then we don't have the the, the training to to back it up and make sure that the ditch digger doesn't go back to the shovel. That, or you're trying to do too many things at once, or or, or implement too many different technologies. Well, or- look, I don't think that I have to go on record and admit that I'm certainly capable of that. Like my mind works my mind works at a speed and in a way that is so different than a lot of other people and i'm not saying that in a positive sense or or to brag or anything it's just it is what it is and so if i get an idea i'm gone dude i'm gone in 0 to 100 and i'm going to go until i run into a wall or until i get done what i need to get done but in the meantime if another good idea comes up i'm not going to wait until i'm done with this one i'm going to start doing both of them at the same time and there's times where I'm working 18, 20 hours a day because I'm juggling 15 different projects that all seemed like really good ideas that weren't. I've I've had to really force myself to step back and say, okay, let's look at doing this. Let's look at doing this. So, you know, perfect example, us putting personal lines in our agency. I fell victim to that because other people said, you should have personal lines. What do they know about my business or my business model they just made me feel like I was missing out because all of these other agencies had personal lines and everything else. I never needed to add it, even though I had the ability in the systems or anything. So now I'm in a position where before I do anything else or add anything or anybody to the agency, I got to get personal lines locked down. We've been working on it for four to six weeks now. We have a dedicated resource there. Then we'll start putting some marketing around it. Then we'll figure out whether or not we need to, to staff it out. But I mean, when you've got people, when you've got personal lines, leads coming in that you're not even trying to get, but the people on your team aren't hundred percent trained on how to use the Raider. That's mm-hmm. a problem, right? Yeah. And completely defeats the purpose you know, of us trying to I bring t- on personal lines because it's supposed to be something that's quick. Doesn't take up a lot of our time. and It ends up doing the opposite for little to no revenue. Yeah. And that's my fault, right? I take full responsibility for that. I should have done, a lot more as we put it in. So good news is I also learned from my mistakes. So I, I, I don't ever replicate go. them, but uh, you know, 20, 2019 was a really wild year for us for a whole variety of reasons. Uh, a and that's whole variety of, of reasons. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so talk so, uh, about your, talk about your marketing strategy a little bit. I mean, I know you're doing the video stuff on LinkedIn, but I'm kind of interested to hear 
other things. Like I don't stalk you everywhere you go, but I will say your beer game looks pretty solid. I saw that video over the weekend and, and I'm going to let you talk about that for a little bit too, but I, I want to hear your marketing stuff and kind of what you're doing and what you're seeing works and Did sort you of how you're tracking game? it and all of that. Yeah, nice. I'm, I'm going to, I'm interested. Beer. Yep. <laughs> I'll, I'll get into that here shortly. Um, when you're, when yeah, you're from, a, wanna, when you're from a town of 5,000, I'm sure you do a lot of things. Pile. That's right. After, listen, after you, after you've grabbed <laughs> the shovel back and dug the ditch, you're thirsty at the end of the day <laughs> and there's nothing better. That's than right. Good. Yeah, we brew a lot of other things too, but for, <laughs> for legal sake, I'm going to stick with beer. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to kind of step back into early on in my career when I kind of started noticing um, why I needed to get into more of a social media uh, presence. So I mentioned breaking relationships and, and the strong relationships in the small community are, are tough to to break and it's tough to gain attention, you know, when you're in that type of an environment. So I went to it was like six months in um, after I started, I went to a new producer school at one of our carrier partners, uh, home offices. And the first couple of days was insurance training. And I was like blacked out by day two. I could not absorb any more insurance acronyms. I was like checking out and I was wondering if this was even the right decision for me to, to be involved in insurance or not. Then I remember there was a sales coach that came in the second, you know, half of the week and they, they hit home with exactly what I was going through. It was you know, trying to gain attention in your marketplace. Um, so I, I went back to the agency and I tried to employ a couple of those things that I'd learned. And I asked our agency at that time, I was like, can I take over our social media platforms? And they're like, sure, go ahead. We don't care. The only thing that they were posting was like, you know, happy Thanksgiving, get a quote from us, call us now. And, you know, <laughs> so I was like, well, we'll see what happens. And, and the first post I did, I, what I did is I created a weekly post and I called it uh, Derek's Tuesday Tips. I would just post a, you know, a picture of me doing something silly and putting a couple tips, you know, underneath in the, in the heading. And uh, the first one was a true story from our office. We had someone who uh, clogged the toilet and this low man on the totem pole, they're like, Derek, come on. They handed me a plunger. I'm like plunging away. I was like, guys, take a picture of this. I'm posting on Facebook. And I can't say I wrote any business from that post. But what it did is it started to gain but you, attention. But you, but you didn't not write any business. <laughs> exactly. Course. You're exactly right. <laughs> so it's, that started to gain attention because, it. I mean, people think it's funny and you start to get likes. And it's like, okay, people are starting to notice me. And I can remember about four or four to six weeks after that, um, I posted one where I really was like, okay, this I'm on to something. We, we had an owner who had an antique Chevy truck. It's like, man, you got to drive that to the office someday. I'm going to take some pictures in front of it, post it on Facebook. So I did, and I did like a tip about antique vehicles and, you know, said that we insure these vehicles. And we got like four Facebook messages that week just from that post. And I wrote all four personal lines accounts. There you go. I was like, all right, here we go. So that just kind of is where I started and how I started to gain some attention in, in my little marketplace. One one tip or a one uh, saying, I guess, that I try to live by when it comes to social media marketing. Are you guys big Gary V fans at all? I'm familiar with him. I wouldn't say that I'm a, a big fan, but I, I've seen a number of his, uh, you know, posts and videos and all that. 
Yeah, I don't I don't dislike him. It, I don't right. necessarily follow him though. Same. I the guy watches he's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> he's a I watch a few of his things. It starts to get a little redundant here and there. But, yeah, right. Um, he one of his things, one of his sayings what really hit home with me it was um to become the social media mayor of your marketplace. I'm like that's a perfect saying for my geographical area. Everybody knows who the mayor is. Sure. They look at him as the trusted advisor for the you know community. So, so that's what I try to do when it comes to marketing is be the trusted advisor, be the educator of my market. So um, what we did myself and um, the guy I mentioned before, Garrett in our office, we do a lot of stuff together um, as far as videos go. We just went in and we wanted to define what niches we wanted to target. And of course, what you guys mentioned before is the benefits and self-funded stuff um, for middle market groups. Um, so we used it as an edu- educational opportunity for us and for our prospects. So um, what we did, we tried to think of issues that we ran into when we're out talking to prospects. You know, you guys talk about it all the time. What were some questions that popped up that you can do a video on? And so what we're doing is we're trying to eliminate some of the fears around self-funded and sharing that not only on LinkedIn, but we have an email campaign that goes out every other week with the videos that we're doing. Um, So that's one of the niches that you guys see. Another niche we developed was more of a geographical niche, which is just basically targeting our backyard for personal lines, small commercial and farm. Um, So what we're doing is we're basically in our town plus about a 30 mile radius. We're targeting um, these, these communities. And what we're doing is we're not typically not talking about insurance at all. We've developed a, a regular show that we call the DNG show. And it's kind of become a little bit of a celebrity opportunity for people who are invited to be on our show. Um, you're like, Oh, I get to be on the DNG show. And uh, so we're literally interviewing the mayor. We're interviewing police officers. We're interviewing business owners that are, you know, have a high visibility in town and we're not asking a single word about insurance. We're just trying to get our face out there so people know who we are. And then we're coupling that with other forms of uh, marketing. We bought a billboard and, you know, people think that billboards are done. But what we've done with the billboard, we've got an intro video on our uh, um DNG show where it flashes pictures of the billboard. So when they're watching our show, I mean, on Main Street in Shelbyville, Illinois, if you're driving, you're going to see our billboard. So they're associating our videos with our billboard. What's the billboard look just like your your face on the billboard? Yeah, it's it, pretty it's, much. It's kind of generic. Like we should do that. Yeah, I'd like to do a few different things. We renew like in February. I'd like to try to do a few different things to catch more attention. But yeah, it's basically our pictures and you know, it's a pretty generic billboard, but people recognize us. We, so, uh, Kyle, you might, um, you just had a baby, right? Yes. Okay. Congratulations, by the way. Um, thank, thank you. Yes. So my wife and I just had a little girl back in March and I'm not kidding. Uh, you. There you go. We were in the delivery room and they had to draw blood. And, uh, the guy that came in to draw bl- blood, he looks at me, he goes, Hey, do you have a billboard in Shelbyville? Well, you better believe it. <laughs> so, well, dude, that's the whole point, right? So, exactly. My wife, she she makes fun of me so much because I, my chest 
puffs up when someone recognizes me from some type of marketing. So yeah, we're in the delivery room and, and some, some guy calls out my billboard. So anyway, we're coming. Hell that. Yeah. That's me, bro. Yeah. You that's know, me. Like, Here's my card. You know, last time I was in the delivery room, I was told, yeah, you're okay. Go down to the cafeteria and get yourself a chicken Caesar wrap. We, we're not going to have a baby for a while. I was gone no more than five minutes and I come back in there's like 50 monitors attached to my wife. All kinds of things are beeping. And the doctor's saying, the cord's around her neck. The cord's around her neck. So listen, this is the difference between having number one and number four. When number four came, I was on the business end eating a wrap, watching the whole thing go down. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, just, just slamming that chicken Caesar wrap. Kinda I was like completely... Kind of like you're slamming that stunk ape trail mix that you got going on over there right now. Yeah, that dehydrated fruit to keep me keep me whole thirty. Compliant. That shit looked like potpourri the other day. That was disgusting. <laughs> it's fantastic. It actually is fantastic. I I do have a question though. When you guys are doing like the billboards and stuff, I assume you're using like carrier co op money and stuff like that for it. So that's another hurdle we had to jump over. So we. Uh, our agency owners gave us kind of leeway to negotiate with the carriers for this co-op money. And with the billboards, we could not get a carrier to allow us to have our faces on the billboard. It was always, well, it's got to be our logo or this or that. It's like, that's not going to help us. So we just jumped into it on our own and, and used our own money to, to buy the billboard. Um, I'm guessing I mean, you don't have auto not, owners. You don't have auto owners in your agency? Um, we so one of our, our agency partner does, we do not have a direct contract in our agency. Um, so yeah, that would eliminate them. Um, but yeah, that was one of the issues we ran into and, and carrier, we are also trying to get carriers to sponsor some of our social media stuff. And that's like pulling teeth. Um, I have, I contacted every carrier rep that we, that we have. And if it wasn't radio or newspaper or, you know, print, they weren't on board with sponsoring like our videos or, you know, our own little show that we have. We finally found one small mutual company that's headquartered here in Illinois that, um, that was on board with it. And guess who we're trying to push a lot of business to as much as possible. Cause man, if they, they took a leap of so, faith. So with us that's interesting. Like, well, Why were they not on board with any of the video stuff? I mean, that's where all of marketing is going. Like they can't control right. it. Well, Yeah. They, there's no way they said they couldn't okay. measure it was the issue. Um, well, that's bull, like, that's bull crap. You, that's bull crap. You can measure the video. I, I think I it's agree. more along the, I think it's more along the lines of they can't control it. They can't control what's going to come yeah. out of your mouth, what you're going to say. And the next thing you know, you make some left-handed remark and you've got a carrier's name attached to it. You know, then you got a big problem. My point would be, why am I even appointed with you if you're so concerned about me being a moral or social hazard to you? Listen, carrier people, if you're listening to this and you didn't give my man some co-op money, you need to ante up and talk to Shelbyville. There ain't that many people there. You could own the whole town if you give them enough money. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I needed. Um, Good grief! Yeah, and I know I you're listen. I listen, man. I know they're listening. Because they email me all the time. Shows over. That's crazy. Videos where it's going to, and if you don't, yeah, if you don't realize that that it is going to video, guess what? Your competitor. Sure. And and you know what? Even saying that it's going to video, we had a, a carrier the day I asked them for co-op money. They said, "Well, it's all going to digital." I was like, "Dude, it's already here. Yeah, it's not right. going there. It's here." And uh, you know, I I feel like if if you don't start now, if you haven't already started, you're going to be behind. 
And uh, yeah, I, I got pretty frustrated that there was one carrier that was like, well, I don't think we can do that, but we can send you <laughs> some beer koozies. Like, okay, that'd be great. So yeah, that's, that's a struggle that we're running into. So that's a perfect, perfect segue into the beer. Listen, bro. I was, no, I was just going to say my response been, listen, bro, I bring my <laughs> yeah. own. I don't need your koozie. <laughs> exactly. So Kyle, I'll explain it to you. I, um, I'm a home brewer. I, I, one of my hobbies is brewing beer, and I actually uh, won a homebrew competition at a brewery in a neighboring town last year. Nice. Now, this is a story you guys are going to love. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm brewing this beer, and, and I see this competition pop up on Facebook. I'm like, oh, and I'm telling my wife, it's like, we got to go to this. I got to do it. And I got kind of wet or uh, cold feet, and I was like, I don't know if I, I'm, I, my beer isn't that good i mean i'm not so like i'm selling it or anything but she's like you we should go just to enter it well i get there and i ask him how many beers are in the competition and it's like 40 from around i'm like i was hoping for it was like a small Six. town smaller than <laughs> shelbyville and i was like yeah i was like i'm hoping for 10 maybe beers and they're like oh there's 40 I'm like okay as long as you don't have so, all the frat boys hovering around your display of beer you're good you're you're safe you're right but I feel like I, I feel like with with forty though, if your beer sucks, you're in a better position than if you're in in there with ten yes. and your beer sucks because every, everybody's going to remember. You know what I you know, you know what I equate anyways, that to. And you probably don't know this because you hate Disney World, but I equate that to when you're at Epcot and you go to the Coke place and they have the cokes from around the world and there's like six of them there. Yeah. You're going to remember very quickly which yeah. one you're never going to drink again. Yeah. The Coke from India sucks for sure. No, yeah. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. My, my, my wife is obsessed with Coke and Disney, so I'm with you there. But anyways, go ahead. Continue. Yeah. Carry on. So we are uh, – we're sitting there, my wife and I, and, and they're, we're just eating dinner because I'm like, I have no chance of winning this competition. I'm not even really paying attention. This guy's announcing <laughs> the Pounded, what did yeah, they serve yeah. for dinner? At He's the pounded fried Oreos and fried Twinkies. And, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like in pizza yeah, on a stick. Like, yeah, ribs and, <laughs> and uh, curly fries or something. And uh, right. they're getting third place, second place, and first place, Derek Hayden. I'm like, I'm like looking around. I'm like, no way did I just win this competition. And then they looked so, at him and said, hey, that's the guy with the billboard. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so what kind one, of what kind of beer did you brew? It was a American do you ale. Yeah. Okay. I brew all, right. all, all different types, but that was an American pale ale. Okay. One of the awards for winning was I got to go to the brewery and like brew my beer, and they put it on draft. So this That's is the part cool. that it's like a typical day in the life of Derek. I go there on a Saturday, brew my beer. The brewery burns down the following Thursday. Oh my <laughs> gosh! I'm like, oh no! So it's like, probably insured, and by the way, probably insured by the carrier that would not give you co-op money. Oh my god! Better believe it. <laughs> so That's I'm like, crazy. I'm like expecting a call from the fire marshal, being like, "What was your ingredient in this beer?" I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, luckily this brewery they just finished rebuilding, and and they're there's some great owners and. Their brewery is awesome. And actually, we had him as a special guest on our show to talk about the process of, you know, rebuilding after a Going through that, fire. Yeah. So, yeah, use it as an uh, opportunity, I guess. But, uh, yeah, that's my 
beer competition experience. That's pretty cool. So is that your, that that's your bread and butter? That's your go-to, or you said you brew all different kinds. Like, is that your favorite or that's just what you were most confident would, would not suck at the beer show? Yeah, it was an easy recipe. There wasn't too much that went into it. So I knew it wasn't going to be like a weird, you know, flavored beer. And now I do all different types. Um, you know, I've got one going right now. It's a Porter. Okay. If you're familiar with beer, it's a darker beer. Yeah. And, uh, my family farm, we have a family farm outside of town. We got a daddy like wild blackberries. There you go. I mean, it's getting, <laughs> getting close to, to Porter time up there. I mean, it's starting to cool off in, in the near future. Yeah. Dude, you're doing is. a black, you're doing a blackberry Porter. Correct. So we have a ton of blackberries, wild blackberries growing at our family farm. So I was like, let's go pick some blackberries. Um, and we'll, we'll try to throw these blackberries into the Porter and see how it turns out. So I've got a, in the basement right now fermenting and in about a week I'll throw some blackberries in and we'll see how she turns out. Dude. I, so I I'll, I'll admit I didn't watch the whole video. I watched the first little bit of it. And then one of my kids came in and distracted me because you, you released it over the weekend, right? You didn't do that in in the work week. So yeah, my chances of catching up on social media on the weekend are like non-existent. I meant to go back and watch it. I just haven't yet, but um, it's interesting to me because like you have some stuff you've rigged too, right? Like part of your process oh, yeah. I saw was like an old Gatorade cooler. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's what I try to de- depict on the video is if people want to try it, you don't have to spend like thousands of dollars buying beer equipment. You can buy it. I bought that cooler off of uh, Facebook marketplace for 10 bucks. And I use an old Turkey fryer, you know, for the rest of it. So it's like a $50 setup to make beer. And you win competitions. And you've got a billboard. It's a more than you want. Yeah, it's an award-winning combination. <laughs> That's right. I want. I want to be Derek. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, you can uh, you can start brewing beer for pretty inexpensive. You don't have to go all out. I mean, you can spend thousands of dollars on it if you want, but um, to do it in my garage, I'm not going to spend too much money, and, and uh, I'm making like three gallons of beer at a time, so it's not like it's going to be a huge deal to produce a mass quantity of, of beer. Three gallons. That's a lot of Porter. If it, it was is. something lighter, that might not seem like it's that much, but Porter's and stouts, three gallons. would last me a couple days. Yep. Yep. A few days. Well, yeah. If you're making it for yourself, but I would imagine he probably shares with friends. Oh yeah. Three gallons to go pretty quick. Are- that's right. Dude, if I'm you, I'm, I'm I'm like doing that and handing it off at marketing drops when I'm cold calling on people. Talk about I've, branding I've yourself, baby. Times. There we go. Another thing that I've had been uh, successful on marketing drops is deer sausage. I don't know if you guys um, ever have any deer sausage down there in Florida, but um, one of my other. Our deer are the size. Yeah, our. Our deer are the size of dogs. Yeah, they are. <laughs> like, they're not even. Dude, so I've got I've got a uh, a friend who goes hunting up in Illinois, and he's got all these you know trophies on his mantle, and um, there's like a couple of heads um, from deer that he shot in Florida versus when he goes up in November to Illinois, and they are like triple the size. It's insane. Yeah, there's big deer in like Illinois, Iowa, and all of that. I went to school Hell up yeah. in West Virginia, and I'm actually working right now. I'm trying to wrap up a deal on 150 acres with a cabin on it, about 45 minutes outside of the Charleston airport that I can use to fly clients up and let them go hunting and use it as a place to hang out in the summers with my boys. 
well, my kids, but you know, go hunting, fishing. It's got mineral rights. It's got a, you know, fishing ponds on there and all of that. I miss it, man. Cause you, I mean, I love fishing and my all time favorite is offshore and we love going to the keys to hit, you know, offshore fishing, but you're just not going to get any kind of hunting down here like you can up that way. And I mean, in, you start getting into the Midwest, it's ridiculous. Oh yeah. If, if I could make commission, just sitting in a deer stand all day, that would be my dream job. But, uh, they don't pay me too much. To do you guys there. have, do you have like mule deer and stuff like that in Illinois? No, we're strictly white tail at this point in time. I hear the mule deers are expanding, but, um, it's more out West is where the mule deer are at. Um, I yeah, know. I wasn't sure how far west. I wasn't sure how far west they started. Yeah, I, I want to say Kansas area, um, maybe even into western Missouri. But um, here in Illinois, you've got your whitetails as your main uh, big game hunting. Anyway, cool deal. Well, listen, man, we've been going about an hour. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on. I know people are going to reach out to you, especially carriers that just want to shower you with freaking co-op money they're gonna make it rain for Derek at this point how do they find you brother absolutely hey guys i appreciate you having me yeah how do they find you man tell oh, them how they get find me. of you um linkedin's probably the best um you can also email me uh derek h that's d-e-r-e-k-h at shelbyville ins.com cool deal well listen man thanks again for spending an hour with us on a friday afternoon we wish you all the best, and we'll definitely have you back to catch up with you at some point. Thanks, awesome. Derek. Had a great time, guys. Yep. All right, you. brother. We'll talk soon. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.